0: Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena and give our response to it. This time we are closing out the Black Rose saga. We are on episode 23, The Qualifications of a Duelist. And man, this episode, this is a really dense episode. Yeah. So we're going to probably be going a little longer than usual, I'm guessing, because... I, I know that I have some theories on stuff, which means Chesney absolutely has some, <laughs> <laughs> especially with like the information that gets revealed in this episode. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things that I want to say up front um, at some point in the episode, I will eventually be bringing up the topic of suicide. So if that's something that you don't want to engage in, I will mention it before I start talking about it then. And you can just skip ahead a few minutes. Um, or you can skip ahead to the next episode if you don't want to have anything to do with it at all. Um, but yeah, this episode, man, so much gets revealed. Like last episode, we had a whole bunch of stuff get revealed about like the backstory of the whole Mikage seminar, Namuro Hall, all of that. And then they pull a reversal and they change up even what we thought we knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't even know where to start with this episode because I almost want to start with the big reveal at the end. <laughs> but that's not how we normally do these, is we usually go yeah. <laughs> through <what> the episode <laughs> what the episode was like chronologically. So uh, chronologically it opens with <laughs> um, Mikage or and now we now know him as numero talking to Mamiya about how they're down to the last Black Rose and he says some other things like um, he's talking to Tokiko at the same time that he's talking to Mamiya in the room and also just kind of talking to himself um, but he says like your brother's sins are deep talking about What we saw in the last episode, which was um,
0: Mamiya burning down Nomuro Hall. With the Uh, hundred boys inside. Let's, like, not skip over that part. (laughs) Like, that's the key part. Because, like, he's talking about how eternity will be built on the sacrifice of those hundred duelists. So, like, Mm -hmm. he's excusing what Mamiya has done, which we'll get to that reveal. Uh, (laughs) But he's excusing it. On the basis of like the ends justifying the means, like the idea that one of them will attain eternity is reason enough to kill a hundred (sighs) boys. It's not. (laughs) Spoiler spoiler alert! It's not. Um, Yeah, yeah. This is like some like classic villain shit where like I'm gonna get eternal life, and that means I'm gonna kill you, and once you're dead none of this will matter anymore. Of course, like it doesn't stop mattering. He's obsessed with this moment in time. Yeah. This entire episode is about how he is locked into his memory of this one moment, this one decision to burn the hall down. And, you know, like later, Akio will say, like, we'll talk about how like he's frozen in this one moment. And that theme of, Eternity in a single moment will come back into play throughout this episode.
1: Yeah. And just not being able to let go of the past in general. I mean, that's eternity in a single moment. Yes. And then also just the complete inability to let go of the past, because as we see later in the episode, like, and I think we even saw this a little bit in the last one, if I'm remembering correctly, which may or may not always be the case, but um, I feel like we saw... Nemuro see Utena as Tokiko towards the end of the last episode.
0: Yeah, he was comparing um, Utena to Tokiko because, like, he saw in her what he saw in Tokiko mm-hmm. with regard to like how Utena takes care of Anthe and he takes care of Mamiya. Yes, and how Tokiko c- took care of Mamiya before he did, mm-hmm. um, and so. Yeah, like, that association gets drawn in his mind toward the end of last episode, and now in this one, like, it's in full bloom. Like, it's a full-on delusion that will yeah. carry on through the rest of this episode. Yep. So they're talking about how, like, Utuna is so strong, Mamiya says that she has unknowable depths of strength, uh, and... Mikage, like, openly admits, like, he says he can't find a winning scenario here. Like, he can't figure out what to do with this last black rose that will end with them winning. And so he comes up with this scheme of, like, you know what? Instead of beating her, I'm going to ask her to join me. And- I'm just silently laughing over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And so... As soon as he says this, we cut to the student council, and they're having the same conversation. They can't figure out what's going on with all of the Black Rose Duelists. and they are now thinking of recruiting Utana. Which, I mean, the show doesn't end up going there. I would honestly like just love to see Utana on the student council. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, what would her her third plot arc? Uh, outfit be? Like, what would her student council upgrade be the way that, like, Nanami got one? <laughs> if you are a fan, if you are listening and you are an artist, I want to see what Utena's student council outfit would be. <laughs> yeah, Somebody absolutely. make that happen. <laughs> absolutely.
1: It's, in my mind, it's something that's just, like, a really exaggerated version of her duelist outfit. Like, these giant, like... <laughs> Assholes hanging off of
0: her shoulders and stuff. Like, even bigger than the ones that she has in the duels. <laughs> she looks like wide Putin walking into the dueling arena. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so while they're talking about her, they refer to her as the engaged. And this episode has, like, a thing with referring to people by titles. So, like, Utena is the engaged. Um, later, Mikage will be re- referred to as the chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them talk about being duelists, and like in this moment, uh, Nanami Nanami makes reference to the student council members being her friends, and she gets immediately corrected: "We are not friends; we're duelists." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and Nanami even talks about needing Utina as a friend to the council. Right which is the first time she's ever said anything like that about Utina.
0: And I think that this is just a continuation of that progression that we've seen going all the way back to like episode four um, with with Mickey, where even though they're rivals, she doesn't have the ill will toward them that they have toward her. And so just by force of personality, eventually she just keeps winning them over and now we have this moment where Nanami is almost won over. Clearly Nanami like still hates Anthe. But yeah. she's never really had as much of a beef with Utana herself. That's true. As- aside from like the obsession early on with thinking that she was going to steal Toga away. Right. <laughs> and But Toga being gone this entire season has given Nanami a chance free of that drama to find a different way to relate to Utena. Yeah. Like she can forget hating her for a moment.
1: I love when a character um, has the power of friendship on their side (laughs) in in any show. Um, I think that's a true marker of a lot of my favorite shows. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Sailor Moon. (laughs) There's always something. And now this. There's always something about the power of friendship in uh, in a protagonist and a main character. I mean,
0: Sailor Moon reserves the power of friendship for very specific cases. Because, like, there's a roll of the dice whether she befriends a Yoma or just straight up vaporizes them. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I really, I need to draw out a
1: scale now of, like, the power of friendship in characters and one end of the spectrum is, like, more reserved with it. (laughs) Like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Sailor Moon, and the other end is Steven Universe and Utena, where (laughs) the characters are just like overflowing
0: with it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So then we cut to Utena, who is looking for Anthe. She's looking all over campus and we get like a series of shots of like the different places that she's looking for her. And so again, we have this theme of wherever Anthe is, like she's not even with with Akio necessarily. Right. Because, like, Utena doesn't always find her with Akio. This entire plot arc, she has been looking for Anthe, who has just not been around. End of the episode, we reveal where she has been this entire time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um But at one point, uh, Utena finally says, like, maybe I shouldn't have blown up at her last night. Now I want to see that fight. Like, I want to see what exactly counts as blowing up at auntie <laughs> 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 in utina's mind you know because right. like it's like i know what that looks like if it, if we're talking like Sionji, <laughs> yeah jesus
1: yeah and she eventually just kind of settles in the rose garden and is like talking to herself um and choo-choo's with her because he has been pretty much this whole time except for when he <laughs> gets lost on occasion, and she has to go find him, but he's with her, and he's like messing around with a a teapot. It's the one that you usually see Anthe with at least in the garden and in their dorm, but it's the one that's like very right. elegantly drawn, kind of looks like a
0: well i, a I think lamp. that's the water the watering can that she's oh yeah, that's right that's or like the, the really fancy. Kettle that she uses as a watering can for the roses. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But Mikage arrives and he does his whole like recruitment spiel. And he he says outright that he finds her attractive. <laughs> and we get a moment of Utina's inner monologue of her just being like, that was a really bold way to tell me that. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it was. He just came at her all of a sudden with you have a mysterious charm. I'm attracted to you. But he says his delivery is so like deadpan to me. It's right, not like, super charismatic.
0: But at the same time, like that, oh, <laughs> it's funny you say it that way. Cause like, I find that directness far less threatening. Yeah. than like, that's true. Someone trying to be like coy or smarmy about it. Like just like outright saying, Hey, I think you're cute hey, you've, I find you interesting, you know? We know that he's the villain. We know that he's the <laughs> villain. She doesn't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But then he follows it up with,
1: I'd like to be friends. I'm sorry. I don't know about a lot of y'all. Maybe this isn't the case for everybody, but I haven't had people approach me and be like, you, you have a mysterious charm. I'm so attracted to you. Let's be friends. I mean, like maybe some creepy dude every once in a while, but like, not somebody who actually wants to be my friend.
0: So I guess that was the whole point. <laughs> so you say that, but when Carly and I were in our grad program together, I just kind oh. of decided that she and I were friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but you didn't approach her and be like, you have a mysterious charm and you're so. No, attractive. no, I
0: didn't. I did not, no, I did not say that. Um, uh. But like, I don't know. It doesn't seem weird to me that, like, as an adult, you just pick your person in the room with strangers and be like, "You, you'll <laughs> be my friend." <laughs> um And I, it worked out. I mean, we're still friends. She's been on the show. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she introduced us. <laughs> I love Carly shoutouts on this show. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> um, so it, he pivots from this to trying to recruit her by like offering help and saying like hey is there anyone you know who has or do you have any problems that you need help with do you have any friends who have problems who need help um and utina says like she doesn't really have anything and she has this moment where like she's talking about having to bring chuchu along to wherever she goes basically because like Anthea is nowhere to be found. And so this entire arc, Utena has been taking care of Chuchu. And so she mm-hmm. can't leave Chuchu behind. And she's like, well, he basically, like, he eats everything. Um, and he leaves a lot of crumbs. <laughs> and while she's talking, he is looking at her and seeing Tokiko. So, like, it is Utena's words coming out of Tokiko's mouth. Yeah, He is full on hallucinating this memory of Tokiko saying this. Um, and he presses again, and this time, something interesting happens. Utina gives it some thought, and we immediately hit this flashback to the cemetery. We get young Utina talking about the coffin and asking, Why do you go on living if everything ends someday?
1: Yeah, the other interesting thing about this to me, and I'll touch on this a little bit later in the conversation again, but, When he asks, do you have friends with problems? And she's like, friends with friends with problems. And she's saying it almost as if she's in a trance and she completely spaces out. And meanwhile, in the background, Choo Choo is like yelling so loud to the point where he sounds his the noises that he's making sound like an alarm bell going off. And then she
0: goes into this memory. Yeah. uh, From her past. And then we have then we have a moment that this feels like a turning point for the show. Utina wakes up holding anthe's hand, and both of them are collapsed over the table in their dorm um It's clearly like after three in the morning the TV is uh is just static, and Utina has this moment of like musing about how. Anthe isn't able to quit being the Rose Bride. And like she's comparing herself to Anthe on this level of like Utena is stuck in the dueling game. Anthe as like run ragged as she is. Can't stop being the Rose Bride. Just like reflecting on how they're trapped together, but also this like romantic moment of their hands touching. And then we get this insert shot of their hands being pulled apart. What did you take from that?
1: Um just from the arc that we've been having and the context in which this clip is given, to me it just felt like Utina feeling the separation between them, where the only times that they're together um is when they're both asleep or when one of them is asleep. Um to me that's what it felt like was just this like, it felt like a moment of separation. However, there has to be something more to it because the clip that we're shown of their hands pulling apart is in full color with a black backdrop. And the scene that's happening in the show of them sleeping is in this like muted gray and green like, there's a filter over it where everything looks kind of like seafoam greenish yeah, color. Yeah, it,
0: because it's, it's like night. After midnight, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but the juxtaposition between the two, I'm like, I feel like that's another... That's a different point in time, almost. Okay. So it's both. It's the feeling of separation, and then it really feels like a memory or a premonition or even a flashback but it's another point in time that we were just shown
0: okay cuz like i know exactly what that is a reference to
1: <laughs> it's also in the title uh you know yes <laughs> yep so there's that too but it just yep. feels like another
0: moment okay um i'm going to leave that there because if i say more that's just spoilers okay But I wanted to get your thoughts on it because it is a a moment that like, if you've seen the show before, you sit up and realize like, oh wow, they teased that this early. Okay. (laughs) Inside Nomura Hall, we have this scene where Mikage has a secretary apparently and he's in the process of firing her. Um, She says that uh, she has a car waiting and she talks about how this sudden dismissal is the same as like when she was hired. It was just as sudden. Mm -hmm. And again, we're getting that feeling of like, all of this is wrapping up, whatever is going on inside the, uh, the Nomura hall. um, This is all coming to a close. We have the last Rose. He's firing his secretary, whatever happens next, all of this is going to be over. And she says, She's the one who tells him that he might even be one of the chosen, which we don't really know what that means, except maybe that like he might be the one who can attain the power of Dios and revolutionize the world. Um, But she clarifies this statement by saying that the person she loves isn't a boy like him. And this gets at like some of the like, time stuff that's going on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Where you know, she's not Tokiko, but I guess maybe like a lover that Mikage had after um before he returned to the school because mm. we're going to find out later that decades have gone by. <laughs> yeah. And this guy is like not a day older than 18 when like he was at the beginning.
1: Yeah, the secretary scene threw me off other than just like things wrapping up. I was like, what is the significance here other than just dropping the maybe you're one of the chosen line. But he she says something interesting about like they both say something interesting about how they know who they are. Like she says, I know who I am. And he's he says the same thing. I am who I am. And that's where they leave things with one another. So not the, if they were together, not the most amicable of breakups, but could have been worse.
0: <laughs> so Uta arrives at the hall and she's looking at the like memorial wall of all the photos of everybody. And she starts to see the Black Rose duelists up on this wall. So she sees Kane and she sees um, Kozue and all of them in their duel uniforms in photos on the wall and she eventually comes to a photo of the hundred boys and of course every time the hundred boys are mentioned or referenced we get the shot of all of them looking up in shock like almost accusatorially at the viewer Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna say in like a second here what i think that shot is but um as soon as this happens we start getting like this music that's like a harpsichord or like a hurdy-gurdy. And we see a banquet table laid out in front of the hall. And the tablecloth is billowing. It almost kind of looks like a conveyor belt, just the way that it's animated. Yeah. Um, and we get this conversation taking place, presumably between the boys, where they talk about like the path to the arena being open. And that that means Nomuro's work is complete. And so that he's probably going to end up leaving soon. They're all talking about him as if he's not there at this reception party that is being thrown. Yeah, because they're talking about celebrating without him. Right. And they they think that he's not going to fight. He's not going to participate in this game now that the arena is open. Hey, it's editing Autumn here. We're about to spend, like, seven minutes talking about a painting by Édouard Manet. And in that time, I am going to embarrassingly flounder around while missing the probably most obvious interpretation of the painting, which is just to call Mikage a prostitute. What I will say is there's a reason I don't subscribe to that interpretation, which I think becomes clear during my long ramble but if you don't want to listen to that, go ahead and skip forward about seven minutes. This is where we cut to a shot that is a very interesting shot composition. So interesting, in fact, that it's actually a very clear reference. Mikage is reclined in a bed, and Mamiya is there holding a bouquet of roses. Uh, This is actually a reference to the painting Olympia by uh, Edouard Manet. So... In the original painting, Olympia is a prostitute. That's a really common thing that artists would use sex workers as models for, uh, for their artwork. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about Olympia is that she's not modeling as a goddess or some other figure. She is modeling as a prostitute. Now, in the 200 years since this painting or 170-ish years since this painting, a lot gets said about her. What is rarely spoken about is the maid who is also in the painting in the position that Mamiya is standing in holding the roses. Um, This is a black maid, and very often this painting is talked about in terms of like the figure on the bed But there's two people in this painting. And uh, the model for the maid is also another model that Manet has used in other paintings. Mm -hmm. But it's also an interesting thing because like what we know about Mamiya is Mamiya also has dark skin. So that is what is being referenced here. Like (laughs) the shot composition is strange for this show. And it stands out enough because like it actually is a visual reference to something else.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. I think because of the way Mikage looks, I went a whole different direction and was like,
0: this looks Please, a lot let's like let's hear it. Let's hear it.
1: Well, this is something that uh came after this show, but the way he's laying in the bed, I'm like, that looks a lot like that scene of Howl and Howl's moving castle. <laughs> oh, because that's who I am. <laughs>
0: It has been way too long since I've seen Howl's Moving Castle, so I'm not sure which scene you're referring to. Oh, I watch that movie at least once a year.
1: Um, (laughs) I have a problem. That's why I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm thinking of that. But, uh, yeah, there's a scene where he's um, moping in in bed and resting uh, after his hair got dyed, um, a color that he didn't want it to be because Sophie mixed up the bottles of his shampoo uh, when cleaning the house. But yeah, it's like him resting in the bed and the bed's like very fluffed up and everything. And uh, Sophie comes in and that's what I thought of because Mikage slash Nomuro looks um, so similar. And now because of this came before Hal's moving castle, I'm almost like, I wonder if they took a little bit of inspiration for Hal from him. Maybe just a little bit because of the way that the hair is cut and drawn. Anyway, that's where my mind went. And there's also, um, you know, Howl's Moving Castle, something about a castle. Anyway, all right, all right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> the castle where eternity dwells. Howl's Moving Castle, it all makes sense. <laughs> Why do you think they
0: reference that here? Oh, God. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, this is going to get a little into the weeds on this. Um so I think that probably the most plausible parallel here is that like what's happening in this scene is that Mikage is refusing to participate in this banquet that is taking place, this celebration. Um or he wasn't invited. Like I could see that going either way. Um but I'll, like I find it just as plausible that like he is just ditching it because he thinks these guys are beneath him, <laughs> yeah, um and so, like in the painting, Olympia is turning away from the offer of roses um toward the the viewer mm-hmm. in this shot, in the show, it's not framed that way. He's not breaking the fourth wall. he's not looking at the viewer. he's just staring off into space. But at the same time, he's not like he's talking to Mamiya, but he's not acknowledging him. He's not like taking the roses or anything like that. Um, He's just lying there almost like in repose. So on the one level, sure, it's just a famous painting where one character is offering roses to another. um, And this show is obsessed with roses. Mm -hmm. Not to like sound shitty about that. Like, I love roses, too. They're great. They're a wonderful (laughs) symbol. Um, (laughs) But like um, the the way I would interpret it is that like like in the original painting, here is Mikage turning away from a gift of some kind um, because he's focused on something else, which is this concept of eternity. Um, He's focused on like his goals, his desires, as opposed to... What's being offered to him um it's kind of a stretch it's kind of a reach like that's kind of why i i'm couching this in the the terms that i am i i think it's kind of a, a i think it takes a lot to to bridge this gap i don't know that there's like a really clear reason for for this shot to to be framed this way um but that's I like would, my interpretation of it
1: i would argue too that this is the episode in the show's very subtle, like very subtle way, of nodding at who Mamiya actually is? Because this whole time, has only talked about black roses, both in Numero's memories and also, um, whenever they're talking to each mm-hmm. other. And this shot shows Mamiya with different colored roses. Where he's never talked about that or brought them into either of their view before. Where do you get multicolored roses in this school except for from the rose garden? Right. So anyway, that's my only commentary on that moment. And it's only now looking back at it that I'm like, oh, that was our first little subtle cue there.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like within the show. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just thinking like why this painting specifically. Yes.
1: That it, I have no answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's one that I have to reach for to like provide any explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, like it may just I really think it might just be like the framing of it. Um yeah. as opposed to like some deeper symbolism of like the painting itself. Because yeah. it, crucially, like Mikage isn't posed the way that Olympia is on the painting and that changes a lot about this, which is why, like, I have to really reach for a, a connection there. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so anyway, like we've talked a lot about the painting and the pose, but like this conversation is actually really an important one. Mamia is talking to Mikage about the concept of eternity and the idea that like, Eternity means that life goes on for years, decades, millennia, millions of years, billions of years. This is the first time that Mamiya drops the line about an instant. And in this case, he says that his life is just a blink of an eye. It's an instant within that expanse of time. And he wants that instant to last forever. He wants eternity. This is where we have Mamiya directly telling Mikage, "I'm in. I want this deal. I I want a, I want this deal with the devil. I want eternity. You know." And so, while this conversation is taking place, it is being played over the memory of the fire and Tokiko grabbing Mamiya and shaking him, and Mamiya holding the candelabra with the lit candles. Um, We will return to this shot at the end of the episode, but in this moment, it is Mamiya in the memory, and all of this is being played, this audio is being played over the memory of the fire. Mm -hmm. So we cut back to the present day, and we see Mikage seeing Mamiya, where Utana is standing. And this is where we cut to the commercial and come back with the eye catch. And we pick up almost at the same frame, except now it's Utana's face. And she is realizing that Mikage was the one who was behind everything. She has pieced it together. From what he has just said and everything that has happened, Mikage is the source of the Black Rose Duelist.
1: Yeah, and she asks if he's been made everyone. And he says, no, they came and joined the Mikage seminar willingly. And they all just had precious memories that they couldn't forget.
0: So that's why yeah, they did this, that. <laughs> this ki- this kicks off a massive confrontation. Um, yeah. This argument actually goes on for quite a while. and. It's a lot of back and forth and a lot of high emotion and it's like it's really worth seeing. Um, I don't know if we can like capture every twist and turn that this conversation takes or that it's necessarily like worth it to rehash it all. Yeah. But like one of the key points is where he talks about like preserving precious memories, like you said. Um, because I think this gets at something that tells us something about otori academy itself part of what made each of these people vulnerable to the black rose was that they have something that they are obsessed with and i i think that mikage is telling on himself a little bit here by emphasizing that it's about memory Mm -hmm. but because like i don't see how it's about memory for toga necessarily and a little bit for Sionji, if we associate like Toga and Sionji with Utena's memory, like mm-hmm. if the three of them are all linked together by that one moment in the cemetery, sure, I buy it. It just feels like a bit weaker of a link, at least in Toga's case, yeah. um, and a little bit in Nanami's case, because you could like, you could frame it as like, Nanami being obsessed with the memory of her brother and like the memory of the bond that they had when they were younger.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I, I buy that, but um, cause like we know for sure that Mickey is because that's all about his memory of Cosway in the garden and trying to like recapture the magic of, of his music.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Jury is all about the moment where she couldn't tell Shiori how she felt. Um, but I think this is Mikage like also projecting a lot of like his own situation is intimately tied to his memory of this moment of the fire. Yeah, for sure. I would say even more so than the student council members, like each of them has a future goal that they also want. Mickey's like obsessed with the past moment, but like Kozue isn't dead he wants something in the future that he could potentially have shiori isn't dead juri could speak up today and change things what we find out in a little while Mamiya is dead yeah and so like that is i think the key that ties him and his memory stuff to utena because her parents are dead the prince isn't of course although the prince is missing Aside from like Akio talking to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's something about, I think it's something to be said about a key aspect of being at this school is obsessing over the past. Maybe not necessarily memory, but something, I, a key aspect of being enrolled here <laughs> is um, something with your past or you're just here for the people. Who are obsessed with their past,
0: yeah, yeah, like we we know that that's what um what links him and Utana, mm-hmm. and like he even says, like, aren't we the same?" <laughs> yeah, and as soon as he says this, we get that flashback to child Utana once again, and so like one of the photos on the wall is a photo of Utana at the funeral, mm hmm. Which of course, like, makes me wonder who the fuck took that photo. Right. Who was who was there for that? <laughs> right. Um, and he it's so perfect. He starts to say the line, the path you must walk has been prepared for you. And she just straight up cold cocks him. <laughs> she lays was- him out. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> She catches him, like, mid-smug sentence and just lays him out flat. hmm
1: Yeah, and she and- keeps calling him throughout this whole episode after she knows now that he's behind the Black Duelist stuff. That she calls him manipulative, a manipulative monster, blah, blah, blah.
0: And he is still psychoanalyzing her while he's on the ground ready to get beat again. <laughs> like- yeah. He says, you seem to be screaming, don't touch my precious memories. Your memories supported you until now. And she pulls back to punch him again and sees the dueling ring and says, I will see you in the arena. Now, here's the thing. She's already got the Rose Bride. By the rules of the dueling game, she only stands to lose here. (laughs) All right. But she's the one who challenges him
1: this time. Here's the other thing. If he hadn't have been a duelist, and he makes this point, uh, he says, if she hadn't seen my rose crush, she might have killed me right then and there. And quite honestly, I'm inclined to think the same thing.
0: <laughs> oh, no. If- no way. No. This is him playing up his victim mentality. 100%. He was never in danger of being seriously well, injured.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think murdered, but like, she definitely would have beat him up and probably tried
0: to take him to like Akio or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she'd have hit him a second time, but I don't see a third. You know? <laughs> 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 I I feel like this is him with his perpetual victim mentality exaggerating the harm. yeah and he
1: goes into the elevator he drags himself into the confessional elevator even though he said earlier on he promised that he wouldn't duel
0: right and here he goes and before we get to the elevator i do want to talk about this one thing that he says though of your memories supported you until now um he's saying this like like i'm saying it with a different inflection um he's saying it as like yeah we're the same you're supported by your memories this is what carries you through mm-hmm. i think this is also a turning point for utana where up until now it has been obsession with the prince having seen the show before this is the turning point where from now on she is going to be seeing anthe in front of her Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the prince behind her. Like her inertia is still going to carry her forward with this quest for the prince. That's not actually going anywhere. But the actual behavior is a lot more focused on Anthe going forward, okay, than just like finding her prince. There's going to be some stuff that happens where characters will still be trying to manipulate that part of her. Hmm. Um like it doesn't go away entirely like nobody changes overnight and like every time someone changes they always backslide a little bit that's a normal part of even making the most positive changes in your life but i think this is a breaking point this is a a shift for her when he says this and so i'm just saying like put a pin in that okay so back to the elevator now the role is reversed since he's riding the elevator. Who's going to interrogate him? He's kind of doing it to himself. Right. And we find that out later that like the fact that it's the memory of Mamiya that is asking the questions puts this in like a very fluid space mentally. Um, Because yes, like it does imply then that he's asking the questions of himself, like at least internally internally this isn't necessarily like a dissociative identity situation where like he's talking to himself that way. It's just that like, right. He's in dialogue with his own memory at this moment.
1: Yeah. And he's, you're right about the victim complex. He is very woe is me because he even says all she does is hurt me and surprise me talking about uh, still thinks that she's Tokiko
0: like. <laughs> yeah. And also like, what a thing to say about somebody who you don't actually have any kind of bond with. <laughs> like, all she does is hurt and surprise me. Yeah, because you're obsessed with her. Like, right? this is a one-way relationship, and you are hurting yourself here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, like, I think at one point Utana even says, like, stop blaming other people for your situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that happened in like the previous argument uh, when he tries to like shift the blame for who the Black Rose duelists are onto like their free choice. And she's like, it was hardly a free choice if you pulled the strings and like pushed all their buttons and pushed them to that place uh, where you've convinced them that your way is the only way forward is to fight. but." Yeah, like the elevator reaches the bottom and he's like, I think that Utena is probably closer to Dios than anyone. We have to beat her. And the memory of Mamiya offers him a black rose, which who knows how that actually took place now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I also think he says something else interesting here, which was in the end, we haven't advanced this whole time. Which, yeah, no, you haven't. You've been stuck in the same moment in time over and over again.
0: Yeah. So then we have this moment of Utna on the balcony at the school, just like thinking about the situation. And before she gets too deep into her thoughts, Wakaba tackles her. Um, and they nearly go out the window, as they always do. <laughs> and Utna is giving her a piggyback ride when the shadow girls pop up. Or the shadow girl, in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's pretending to be uh, a middle-aged man who is musing about how back in the day he used to be the representative for his class, which is like student council representative for your class, which carries some standing uh, in Japanese schools, not really a thing in America. Um, But then like, He looks at his work and he's like, this is bullshit. I used to be the rep for my class. I shouldn't have to deal with this. And then uh, his daughter speaks up and says that she's going to school. And he's like, that's it. I'm coming back to class. And so uh, this middle-aged guy decides he's going back to his glory days of when he was top of his class. and. Yeah, I mean, this is just Mikage, right? Like, yeah. his best moment was when he was, you know, 18 and in charge of research at Otori Academy. And now he's back at the school again. We find out decades later, he has come back to school where he where he used to be successful. His great achievement was opening the dueling arena. And the path forward to revolutionize the world was almost in his grasp. He almost had eternity and he came back here to get it. And of course, like the comparison here couldn't be more direct. A middle-aged guy going back to school in order to be on top again. Like, of course he's going to be on top. He's a grown ass adult. He knows all this stuff already. That's (laughs) right. like, Like, you go to school to learn it you don't go to school to be the master of it like you don't go to school to be the best student in the school forever um <laughs> yeah. it's to learn something and then go on and do something and so there's like a pathetic par- part of this of this person going back to like this combination of like former glory and nostalgia yeah rather than trying to take action in their current life, and so we have and so we have Mikage coming back to Otori Academy, presumably after he could have gone on and done pretty much anything with his talent and speaking as like a former gifted kid, man, I fucking feel this one um <laughs> like yeah, there is that appeal of going back to a time when like. That was what mattered, not hard work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is a piece to this that I don't quite understand. Because when actual Tokiko came to the school again and saw him and talked to Akio, she was like, you both look like you haven't aged a day. That's like unnatural. So he's middle aged,
0: but still looks like he's 18. And on some very real level still is 18. Yeah. Like, I think this is the episode that most clearly telegraphs some of the time stuff that goes on with, uh, with Academy. At the end of last episode, we had Akio saying that as long as you stay in these gardens called schools, people won't grow up. In the magical realism of this world, that is a very literal fact. And we are now seeing that for the first time very clearly. We have an outsider who has come back and testified to the idea that Akio doesn't look like he's gotten any older. Mikage certainly has not gotten any older. Meanwhile, she's at least 20 years older. Yeah. She's at least in her mid-30s at this if not older. Right. Which, like, just doing the the math, on this like if this show came out in 97 and presumably was set in 97 and everyone is between like 14 and 17 that would mean akio maybe we're gonna put him in the maybe column but namuro and tokiko were born probably like 1960 to 1963 ish yeah somewhere in there um assuming like 20 years has passed, could be even earlier than that. But like, they are no younger than having been born in 62, 63, like in real world time.
1: That's just like, well, no, because both Akio and I guess namuro too were both gone from the school and then came back, but haven't aged. And meanwhile, Tokiko did that and she did. So I
0: don't know if it's like. Well, Tokiko wasn't trapped in that moment. I see. Okay. So she successfully left the school and like she came back to pay her respects at Amiya's grave. But she is not locked into that moment the way that the others are. Okay. She's not living her life obsessed with the death of her brother. Okay. That makes sense. So she left the school and has now aged normally. Um, She has escaped from Neverland. Um, You know, she is, she's Peter Pan in Hook as opposed to Peter Pan in Peter Pan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So, uh, or I guess like more to that thought, uh, Mikage is probably more of the Peter Pan in Hook because he's the one who comes back and rediscovers like, oh shit, I fit in here and this place makes sense to me. And, I can get my powers back. <laughs> yeah. This is, I think, like the very first time that we have a very clear indication that time is exactly as flexible here as we thought it was all along. Like we knew that there was something funky going on with time. And now we see very clearly that time does pass differently inside a Tory Academy.
1: Yeah, it sure does. And then we just go right into the duel.
0: Yeah. So right off the bat, the music for this duel, uh, the song is I Am an Imaginary Living Body. Now, the lyrics all along, uh, if I remember this correctly, have always been the domain of uh, Ikuhara and a couple of others who are writing on the show. This song is the first of J.A. Caesar's actual compositions, though where this is his experimental theater troupe, not the children's choir from the first couple plot arcs of the show, which is why like very suddenly this song sounds completely different from the ones before it while also still keeping the same like esoteric rock opera feel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It started
1: and I was like, okay, guitar.
0: Yeah. And you'll notice like there's men's and women's voices now instead of um, children's voices, which in the first couple arcs of the show, in the first like 12 dual songs, um, it can be hard to tell like whether it's children or women. It's a children's choir. okay. but this is an adult choir. This is like his experimental theater group. And on the desks that are strewn about the arena are photos of Mamiya. And it is Mamiya in his student council outfit. My theory is before he got sick, actual Mamiya was a student council member.
1: Well, but at the end of the episode, well, it could go either way. At the end of the episode, Mickey is like, oh, yeah, the fire thing happened before there was ever a student council. But who knows if that's actually true or not?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So this is one of the more violent duels. like. In terms of like actual dual savagery, I think that like Wakaba's probably is at the top and then Nanami's first duel and then this one. Like I think that's how I would rank them. Yeah. And I, and I think I think Wakaba probably reaches the top just because like she's her best friend and she literally has a sword to her throat at one point. Yeah. Um but Nanami is definitely the most like chaotic and aggressive but this one's up there this one is pretty high on the list of like just how violent this duel is um and he does that like that sherlock holmes and professor moriarty thing of Mm -hmm. predicting one another's moves (laughs) yeah like he he predicts it when she jumps and
1: yeah yeah and that was an interesting shot in itself lieutenant jumping and then Anthony calling for her and her calling her name back in response and i didn't know what was gonna happen i I didn't know if she was gonna like piggyback land or (laughs) (laughs) um but while this is happening numero gets distracted because he hears the voice of mamiya in his head
0: well before that oh um he repeats the line of like aren't we the same and we get this time, a flashback to his memory of catching Akio and Tokiko together, followed by him pushing the coffin down the hallway. And I feel like those two images being thrown together that way, like that juxtaposition, to me is like, he sees this happen, and like shortly thereafter, he's pushing this coffin, and like that's when he gets the idea I'm going to burn this place down. Um, And this goes to what I had teased earlier with the talk of like the hundred boys, Um, like him sitting in that bed and saying like, he's not going to duel the hundred boys. I think he's already made up his mind there. Like that moment where he's in bed, I think he's already decided he's going to burn down Nomura Hall. And that that banquet that is taking place is when he's going to do it okay. and so that and so that shot of the hundred boys where they all look up at once to me that is some like that is some prom night carry shit where like the building is now coming down on them <laughs> because of the fire like yeah they all look up at the same time and like they're looking at the audience but also like in universe. I think that they are looking at the building coming down. Yeah, I could. Um, As far as the duel itself, they have one of their signature clashes with like the sparks flying by one another. Unlike every other time we've seen that, the duel doesn't end there. The duel doesn't end with the two of them having their, their rushing past clashing. Instead, that's when she does her jump Anthe catches her. Yeah, so he was going to go in for the strike because he
1: was gauging what she was going to do next, and then he gets distracted because the voice of Mamiya in his head saying, "You will never defeat my sister, who dwells in your
0: memories." Well, he sees Anthe because Utana catches her, and um, because Anthe catches Utana, he sees Anthe, and so that's when it triggers the memory of Mamiya for him because he recognizes that face.
1: Mm, Okay. And he also gets challenged. Like, it sends him down this mental road and spiral where he's being challenged. And the voice in his head is like, back then in that place, who was really there
0: and who wasn't?
1: Who started that fire?
0: Yeah. And what what we see on screen is... It's him holding the candelabra. Mamiya isn't even there at that point. And he's musing about how, like, Mamiya, it's been decades since I've seen your face. And for the first time, we see, like, an unedited memory. Mamiya clearly looks very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say more masculine than the Mamiya we have seen this entire time um like the mamiya that we have seen so far has been a very androgynous figure and the darker skin and the darker purple hair at first were meant to just think parallels anthe but clearly that was foreshadowing that that isn't actually mamiya that is an imposter yep and so for the first time Mikage remembers Mamiya's actual face. And that triggers him to remember he was the one who burned down the hall himself on Mamiya's behalf, not the other way around. It wasn't Mamiya burning it for him. And so when he sees that different face, like all the photos fall. Like the way you like put down a photo so you don't have to look at someone's face again. All the photos on the desks fall over. Utana tucks back to do her signature thrust and the and the shot cuts. We don't actually see her follow through on that. Um it cuts to the chairman's uh chambers and Akia was there receiving a phone call. hmm And tells
1: he's basically like, yeah, I was waiting for this phone call. Um, yeah, Mamiya actually died a long time ago and you've just been a version produced by your lingering regret over toki
0: yeah so like the implied other half of this conversation is mikage is calling to ask what the fuck man (laughs)
1: yeah yeah which is interesting that they did it this way because it's like the duel is like kind of ending in slow motion and then it cuts and the silence is there there's no more duel song and it's just the phone ringing, Akio picks it up, and we're just getting a one-sided conversation.
0: Yeah. And so as soon as he says that the actual Mamiya died years ago, that's when we get a without sound uh, shot of Utuna rushing past and the rose falling off of uh, Mikage's chest. And Akio says, you treasured that. I'm going to read this as verbatim as I can here. Um, you treasured that illusion of memory so much that it stopped time for you. The decades you spent not growing up proved useful to me. Um, which is like, uh, he says, the path is not prepared. For, the, the path you must walk is not prepared for you. Graduate from this place and leave. Like, there we go. Like, we finally have what's going on here. If you don't graduate, like, Literally or metaphorically, if you don't graduate from school, you're trapped here in this like eternal present moment, which is what Mamiya was asking for, a a moment in which to live for eternity. And on some level, like that is what they all have here. And this is the first time that we're seeing that what they have been seeking this entire time may actually be a curse. They may be trapped (laughs) by their desire for eternity rather than liberated by it.
1: And also, which version of Mamiya actually wanted that? Because I thought from the previous episode, I thought we heard that Mamiya say, I don't want my sister's eternity. Like talking about how he didn't want to draw out the suffering with his illness, whatever it is. Right. But this Mamiya. That's been an illusion as part of his memories has said,
0: I want that eternity. Right. And I I think that's an open question, right? Because like, I think by the time that Namuro has come to the decision to burn the hall down, what Mamiya actually wanted at that point, no longer mattered. Like he had decided on the course of action that he believed was going to be the best one regardless of whether or not mamiya wanted that same thing like i can see him thinking that like he's doing it for mamiya's own good and that mamiya would thank him after but we never find that out yeah because presumably mamiya had died before he burned the place down because he's not there in that scene in that moment
1: yeah which honestly i could see that being what pushed um Nemuro to do that to burn down the hall and to try and save mamiya after it was already too. yeah so what's interesting too is that akio and Nemuro have this phone conversation and then the next scene that we have is utena and mickey going to the remains of numero memorial hall
0: yeah this scene is fascinating
1: yeah after i mean and it's not like how it was this whole time during the arc that we've seen it it's it's burned shell it was not rebuilt it's just a burned down stone shell of the building that it used and utenna's like oh why do we end up at this weird place looking for anthe which is a whole bag of tricks to unravel in its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's when Mickey and Utenna are talking about, like, yeah, this was a long time ago. There was something about a fire. So, like, and Mickey can't even remember the name of it anymore. Utenna's not focused on that. She's just trying to find Anthy. So sh- she just kind of leaves. And Mickey's just left puzzling by himself what was the name of this place again? And he gives off a couple different names, but he can't quite remember it. So
0: it seems like what has happened here. What's really fascinating here is that this directly echoes episode 14 at the beginning of this arc where Utena is walking by the building and says, Oh, I don't think I ever noticed this place before. And mm. as she and Anthe are walking by this place, mickey walks out of the door and is like oh don't you know what this place is this is namoro memorial hall there's a huge history here and he proceeds to tell the story of like the hundred boys and all of that and like the fire everything in the middle of him telling this story he clicks his stopwatch oh okay and so like this is like that big brain moment of whenever Mickey clicks the stopwatch, it means like there's something going on. <laughs> we never find out what it is like the other 90 times, but like in this case, he clicks the stopwatch and tells this story about Namuro Hall. But now we see it in the present day. The hall is still burned down. Did any of that actually happen? <laughs> Yeah, it's just
1: <laughs> the way that the episode ends is like it gives off that it was all a dream, ooh, like <laughs> trope and feeling, but yeah, I don't we've think we've reset the timeline that. and it's <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing is that I don't think it was all just a dream. I think it was
0: resetting reality. Yeah, and like I think it it makes me wonder like This moment where Utena is looking for Anthe and the hall is burned down and no one seems to remember anything about it. Like Utena certainly doesn't remember having just been in it a minute ago. Right. Although like in terms of like in universe time, probably like the day before or something like that. Um, Like she was just inside it with Mikage and punched him out, you know? But like the the moment Mikage leaves the school again, his impact on the school disappears with him and like the memory of him fades. Um, The demoral hall is back to being a burned husk. Like it's like it all goes, like when he comes back to the school originally, it's like it reset the clock to 1977 where the hall wasn't burned down and he's still there. He's still a young student. Meanwhile, like in Tokyo around it, you know, uh, Tokiko is growing older. She has a husband and a kid. Um, And then like she shows up at the school and we have this like clash of timelines for a moment. And the clash is noticeable to the people involved in it. Like she knows these people here haven't aged the way they were supposed to. Yeah. But like she seems to be able to leave again without it like upsetting the timeline within the school. However, when Mikage leaves, his impact disappears again. Like this time pocket just disappears with him and like everything warps and twists around it in order to make sense again. And like we're back to like the prime timeline. Um in, in as much as that exists, because I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here and say okay. every single one of the student council members, there's a big question mark about how old they actually are now. Yeah. And how long they've been there. <laughs> right. Cause like when Utena first hears, um, the sunlit garden, she recognizes it as a famous song. Mm, yeah, that's right. Or if it wasn't, her specifically it might have been like wakaba or something like that um but somebody in like episode three recognizes sunlit garden as a, a famous song and like i think that leaves open the question of like time in general here of like how old is anyone like yes in terms of the show it is most useful to continue talking about the characters as their chronological age within Otori Academy. But like, what year did any of them matriculate? <laughs> you know, like, did Toga first come to this school in 1989? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly, we know that like Utena, Toga and Sionji are conjoined in terms of timeline because they all encountered each other as kids and are all roughly the same age relationship now as they were then.
1: Mm hmm. You know, something that I picked up on but didn't know why was early on in the show. I kind of expected there to be like some highlights, especially with like the quote unquote sillier episodes, like the Nanami episodes and things that it would be like seasonal. But we don't, we noticeably have no seasonal, no holiday, nothing in this show.
0: Right. Like we don't have the cicadas. We don't have, you know, the uh, the cultural festival. We don't have Mm -hmm. any of like the usual signifiers of time passing. Yeah. We have none of them. Nobody graduates. uh, Nobody talks about like end of year exams. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) the, The actual markers for time are completely absent here. The roses are always in bloom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, it's like this eternal summer, and so now we have we have one character who knows what's going on. Clearly, Akio knows what's going on. Um, he says it outright. Like, as long as you stay here, you you stay a kid. Like that, it's that simple. Like, time doesn't pass while you're here. He uses that against Mikage, and we have one character who has at least begun to suspect something is wrong. And that's Mickey because he's constantly like checking the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say like that actually goes to an interview that Ikuhara gave where uh, he points out like when somebody asks like, what the fuck is going on with the stopwatch? Because like, it is kind of an obscure thing Um. Mm-hmm. Ikuhara actually just like straight up says he's checking the time because like time's funny here.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and so now like I can actually talk openly about this fact with you because we have come to the point in the show where, yes, that is actually obviously what is happening here. There is something off about how people age in a Academy.
1: Yeah. And the reveal right at the end of this episode, Uh, yeah let's get to this one the version of Mamiya that we've been seeing this whole time is there in the chairman's office with Akio and Akio asks like do you feel sympathy for him like it's okay he's not here at the school anymore you know he was never really here in the first place just like you just like you is what he says there's no Uh question mark in his voice there's just one in mine um Just like you! And then it pans over to Mamia, who transitions into Anthe, and just looks back over her shoulder, over Akio's shoulder,
0: at us, and smiles. Yep. The reason Mamia had Anthe's powers is because it was Anthe all along. <laughs> yeah, which
1: is really fucked, <laughs> uh, because their whole goal... Mikage and mamiya was to kill the rose bride but she's been well, the rose bride this whole t- or he's been the rose
0: bride this whole time so this is where i'm going to get into the conversation about suicidality um so okay. if you want to skip ahead a little bit um feel free to do so um yeah no like that was the stated goal of um Mikage, was to kill the rose bride and I don't remember ever seeing Mamiya challenge that in any way. But I also don't remember seeing Mamiya ever support it openly either. At least like explicitly saying, yes, we have to kill the Rose Bride. Um, That was always Mikage's plan to do so. At the same time, this is a part where like, I can't cleanly separate in my mind this whole plot from the idea that On some level, Anthea is suicidal with like everything that is going on, supporting a plot to kill, like secretly in disguise, supporting a a plot to kill her public self. (laughs) Um, I think she clearly like has the power to completely stop this entire scenario from playing out. She is using it to support someone who openly is trying to kill her. Yeah. Now, you can say, like, there's a bait and switch involved here of, like, she's trying to draw Mikage out knowing that, like, she was never in any actual danger. I also can't not think of this in terms of possibly her own suicidality. Yeah,
1: and here's the thing. There were some damn close calls. Like, Wakaba straight up was going to kill her. Yeah, I mean, she had Utina at her mercy, too. Yeah, that was rough. I mean, you want to talk about towing the line (laughs) between, like, I don't even know, but that was was the closest call to her getting hurt or killed Mm -hmm. that we've seen in this show so far. So that's, I mean, a very dangerous game that was being played right like kidnapped
0: her Sionji kidnapped her but he was never gonna kill her he wanted no. her yeah um i would say like kanai's duel is also another one because yeah in that one utina was still so surprised that this was happening that Kanae actually gets kind of close yeah um and so like sure like You would also have to, like, zoom out and think, like, because Mamiya took took care of the Black Roses the same way that Anthe takes care of the Roses, that, like, somehow Anthe knew that the Black Rose swords were never actually a danger to her. But I feel like that gets to be, like, a real stretch. You know, like you have to like be inserting a lot of your own thoughts into this scenario to make that plausible. Like, I think it's a lot more clear that Anthe was in actual danger throughout this plot line. Um, because otherwise that means banking on the idea that none of these duelists were ever actually going to pose a threat or be a challenge to Utina, in which case, why have them? Yeah. And I don't mean that no. like on a narrative level. I mean like in universe, why go through this entire plot? Why would Mikage do all this? Why would Anthe pretend to be Mamiya to have Mikage do all of this if there was never a legitimate threat to herself? Or if there was never a legitimate threat that Utana could lose.
1: Well, and they were a legitimate threat to Utana, but to somebody like Akio, this was entirely just a game. Just to like see where this would go and if there was a winning scenario to come out of this. Right. I totally feel like he used and manipulated Mikage slash Namuro and his like obsession over his mistake and not being able to let go of not being able to save Mamiya before he died to his advantage and just seeing How far can we take this? How far can we go? Um, And will this do anything
0: as far as the path to eternity goes? Sure. And of course, like, that also... So I'm reading it through one lens. I think the other possible interpretation here is Akio wants to kill Anthe.
1: Yeah, I thought about that too.
0: I think that, like, that one falls down a little bit for me just because, like, unless Anthe was on board with it, she clearly has the power to just make all of this stop. Like if there was no part of her that would cooperate in her own death, it wouldn't have happened. Like none of this would have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Mikage would have never been allowed to make that plan. I think like the first time that she heard what Mikage's actual plan was, she'd have used whatever power she had to do something different, to make something different happen. Or completely sabotage him in a way that clearly doesn't happen like like, that's my read on this um i am definitely open to like hearing other people's theories on it because this episode and this scene and this moment is such a twist like it's been forecast very clearly in the visual parallel between these characters and the fact that like mamiya takes care of rosa's Mamiya has the same powers as Anthe. Um, Like, we see that especially with, like, the Locket episode, with, like, the bird. And I would say, like, it's plausible that Akio would want to kill Anthe, whether from his own guilt or greed or whether he sees her as an obstacle, whatever it is. It may just simply be a matter of whether or not he can.
1: Yeah. That's what I think. Because it very much feels like the person in control here, like you said, is and the one who has the power here, and Akio is doing all that he can manipulate and control her. I think if he could have her out of the way and have
0: all of the power himself, he'd be completely fine with that. I think it's obvious that she's more powerful than him, and that's why the abuse and the manipulation is so necessary for him to maintain control.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because... It's just the bit at the end where it's not just, like, her abilities in the dueling arena. She can also apparently, like, change her appearance. And not just like, oh, I threw a wig on. <laughs> but, like, she straight up changed how she
0: was perceived. The Curry episode. Yeah. I mean, if we go back to the Curry episode, how do you think that happened? You know, like... right. This is definitely a power that she has, is to manipulate perception in that way.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And potentially memory, in my opinion.
0: Now, I think with this episode, we have to ask, is that part her power or is that like the magical essence of the school itself?
1: And I don't know, but the ending to me made it seem like she was the one who manipulated his memories and made Memorial Hall seem real again like it could be a combination of both like it's there it just needs to be manipulated kind of thing Mm -hmm. and she's the one that built it literally built it because they walked (laughs) through that building Mm -hmm. Um,
0: what I love is that some of this stuff has a definite answer that we will get and some of it very much does not (laughs) (laughs) at the very least we can i think
1: that she is manipulating the perception of reality not maybe not reality itself but at least the perception of it and my crackpot theory for this episode because of the whole manipulating perception of memory so in the scene where utena wakes up and she and anthy are holding hands anthy's passed out that came directly after Utena was experiencing the memory flashback of being at the church and they were Mm -hmm. both asleep so going in hand in hand with the it was all a dream uh, thing if Utena was actually just asleep during that and basically what if the memories of the prince that she thinks are hers are not actually hers (laughs)
0: Wow, okay, so I think that might be a little far. (laughs) (laughs) Um I personally would come down on the side of like the funeral definitely happened. I still have my pet theory that all three coffins were real. Um as in Utina's been dead this entire time. But that Mm. that is a like totally unsubstantiated theory for me um that one is I, I will say this now like that doesn't get revealed to be true or false by the show itself
1: <laughs> which part
0: um which being dead? dead yeah yeah um that never actually gets confirmed or denied by the show that's just like my personal read on the coffin situation just because like who brings a third coffin to a funeral anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no, but, like, I think a lot of this stuff, I think that stuff, like, actually did happen because this is the formative memory that drives Utna being here. Right,
1: but what if that was planted? Is basically my crackpot theory for this episode is what if that was planted and they're not her memories at all? I
0: mean, what that just it- turns this into, like, a, a giant torture experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Which I won't know (laughs) until we, like, finish the show. Yeah, because, like, I think that with all of this stuff, like, what we're actually seeing is people vulnerable who are taken advantage of, as opposed to, like, someone just randomly picking people to implant horrible memories in. (laughs) (laughs) Memories that will, like, cause them to obsess over those. Um I, I think it's much more plausible and much more likely that, like, these are events that actually happen. Like, the events that brought people to Otori Academy actually happened. And the fact that they can't move past them is what keeps them here.
1: As yes. opposed
0: to, like, some mastermind planting those memories. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's Like, that's, like, so evil.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the last bit of crackpot theory to that is... What if it's not hers memories? What if it was Anthe's? You know, what if it that was Anthe's exposure to the prince? And okay. somehow, I don't know if it was a cry f- uh like a cry for help or what that got that uh that got Utina recruited. But that's the <laughs> that's very much the tinfoil hat theory of this episode was like
0: that one's real out there. I'm not gonna Yes. Lie. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love it.
1: It may make no sense later on, but that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> that version of this show will live on in our hearts forever.
0: <laughs> I, I, I feel like that moment though that you're talking about, where like she wakes up holding Anthony's hand, mm-hmm. I have a much more charitable interpretation, which is that's what brings Utena back down from her trauma episode. <laughs> <laughs> like like her connection to Anthe is actually what grounds her as opposed to what sends her reeling <laughs> I like to think that more than the idea that the the person that like Utena's soulmate here is actually the cause of all of our problems <laughs> that's a bit too grim even for me <laughs> And I don't mean like cause of her problems in like a roundabout way of like being the rose bride and all the stuff that goes down at to the Tory Academy. I mean like your theory of this was all a <laughs> plan by Anthe to just puppet master this poor girl into a Tory Academy with implanted memories. <laughs> <laughs> The only other
1: question that I have about this episode is is the ending here a good one or a bad one because I can I think it can be taken both ways. Now are you talking about the ending or the preview for next time? The ending of the episode. Okay. Because the whole scene with the banquet table and like the ghosts of the or the voices of the ghosts of the 100 boys talking or spirits or what have you. Um, And they're talking about the path to eternity opening and finally being able to leave with or without Makage. And sure, yeah, that could be a, like, they're reliving that moment before their death. But also, it could be interpreted as, like, the spirit sensing that they're finally going to be able to be free and move on from this place. Okay. I mean, I could see that. So, in that way, it's like you manipulated this guy to come back here or to remain here for God knows how long. I, that part is still unclear to me, but um, you manipulated Nomuro to do all of this with the Black Rose and, you know, fucked with his head, his perception of his memory. But was it. I don't think the intention was to set the boys free, like their spirits free, but it was like a good. Thing that happened because of this so in a sense even though it's fucked up there is like a happy ending to this in my mind anyway because the spirits were set free
0: like if the cosmology of this world that has been set up in this episode is accurate um i would say it's probably a good thing whenever someone leaves this place <laughs> yeah yeah um but like specifically like leaves it for the final time because like this goes to Shiori coming back, mm-hmm. right? Like this is something I told you to put a pin in this because Shiori leaves and comes back. She comes back and she's still the same age as Juri, which means whatever happened when she was gone, just like when Sionji was kicked out, their memory and their bonds to people... Pulled them back to the academy also kept them from growing up wherever else they were, yeah, um or it just so happened that like the exact right amount of chronological time passed in the real world and a Tory academy between those two points in time. but like, sure, like that could have <laughs> that could be the case also. but like, from what we're seeing here with Mikage, when you leave a Tory academy, literally any amount of time can pass. Because once you come back, you return to being the person you were when you were there, which like, if you've ever gone back to your old high school, because like, you now have like a kid there or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, It's different. It's weird because it remains super familiar, but also being like years removed from like your time there, you know? Yeah. Um, or if you're going there for like a community event or something like that. Uh, I suppose you don't need to have a kid to to go to a high school. <laughs> um, but like, or if you're a teacher, I, I suppose I shouldn't write that one off the list either. <laughs> you're just writing it off because we never see teachers in this show. <laughs> right, exactly. I have friends who are my age who teach at the high school I graduated from, <laughs> which is why mm-hmm. I thought of this. But <laughs> like yeah teachers don't exist in a Tory academy. this isn't an actual school <laughs> <laughs> um which of course, like God, now that we're going down this rabbit hole, what's the deal with the teachers like oh yeah, trust me, yeah. I thought about that <laughs> like <laughs> is the is that uh school counselor is she trapped here because she's obsessed with the the vice principal like probably. <laughs> Like, are they trapped here as well, just like as adults instead of as kids? Um or are they just like actual adults, and they come and go and don't seem to realize that the kids never age <laughs> um also,
1: when you're let go of the grip of this place, do you automatically like the all the years just spin by in a flash of an instant to where you're the age <laughs> that you're supposed to be, or is it like now you age? You know, like, okay, now we've let go of you, and now we age,
0: or like. Like a vampire who, uh, <laughs> as soon as they're killed, their body reverts to whatever the actual age of their body is. And they just like turn to dust because they're 500 yes! years old. <laughs> I
1: was thinking about that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: again, as we return once more to Utena is actually a vampire show. Um, uh, thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and like this episode doesn't disprove my whole they're all vampires theory anyway (laughs) still very me
1: adjusting my tinfoil hat yes still valid still very valid
0: so for the listener who has like stuck it out through all two hours of us rambling so far i mean first off thank you but can you tell how much this episode completely breaks my brain like everything makes sense up until this moment and now it still actually makes sense like all of these things track with what we've seen so far it just has like these huge implications for the world that go beyond like the more artful metaphors like we're gonna get to the conversation about metaphor in this show once we reach the point where it's not a spoiler to talk about the metaphorical through lines throughout all of this but my God, this show completely breaks open the cosmology of Otori Academy.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm also just like, so what happens from here? Because the Blacks Rose saga is done. That arc is done. Right. But we still have Akio at the school. And I would imagine he's probably going to continue to show up in some
0: episodes Well, I will go ahead and tell you, the Black Rose Saga concludes with Mikage leaving. The next next plot arc is known as the Akio Otori arc. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, all right. I'm sorry, Otori?
1: As in the name of the school? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just absorbing that one for a moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, he is... Otori Akio. That, that's, that's his name. Or as in the West, Akio Otori. Yeah, but okay. That also has implications. And like, his name is because like, he's engaged to uh, Kane Otori, whose that's father right. is the actual chairman. Um, He adopted her name before they actually got married. Okay, thank you. I've forgotten that part. So... I warned you that like this would be a long episode. I am glad to have fulfilled that promise. <laughs> <laughs> I am kind of like hating myself because I'll have to edit this, which to be, <laughs> to be clear, at a minimum, minimum takes like 50% longer to edit than it does to record. Up yeah. to like 200% the time because like it depends upon how much Honestly, it depends on how many times you and I bang our desk while we're talking. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, I'm just getting loopy now from how all this has gone down. So I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to ask, what do you think happens next? Uh,
1: next is going to be some uh, <laughs> some good Nanami curry time episodes, <laughs> apparently uh, not plural. Sorry, just one uh i'm sorry when the fucking next time on <laughs> revolutionary girl Lutina, and then they just <laughs> lead they lead with so bookie got run over by a horse i just fucking lost it <laughs> yep that's so it's so horrible to like think about in real life but my god going from hey here's like the fabric of this universe and reality to so a bookie got run over by a horse just fucking <laughs> kills me every time. Uh, yeah. I saw a flash of curry being made again and I was like, Oh boy, here we go. So uh, I'm ready to see the next level of anti-curry shenanigans.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I will say next episode is a recap episode because we okay. just concluded. We just concluded a plot arc. But the framing device for this is teased in the teaser, which is Nanami's Diary.
1: Yeah! <laughs> oh, no. This is going to be very oh, embarrassing
0: yes. for her. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be really embarrassing for her. So we do have a listener mail uh, from Ooh. yeah, uh, from someone named Ashley. And this is a correction. Uh, so Ashley says... I've been binging your available episodes all week. I love that for you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Your show is great. And it's such a pleasure to hear people talk about my absolute favorite show since I don't have anyone in my life at the moment that I can force to watch it with me. That I am not happy for you because everyone deserves somebody that they can evangelize the show to. Um, Anyway, (laughs) uh, I do have one pedantic nerd correction, though. Generic love interest boy that Shiori thinks she steals from Juri is explicitly not Ruka in Whispers in the Dark, a future episode. Um, And then Ashley describes a scene that's going to be coming up where it makes it pretty clear that Ruka and Shiori didn't have uh, a very close, didn't have like an actually close relationship at the time that they're having that conversation, which would then imply that Bruca is not the boy that Shiori was dating that she took from jury or took in quotes. Um, I don't remember the specifics of this enough. I'm going to trust you, Ashley, that like, this is true. And now I'm going to be watching for this because that episode is only about like three or four episodes away from the one that we're recording right now as I'm reading this. Um, but yeah, no, now I'm like super curious to see like how that actually turns out, because I think that's episode 28 or 29, somewhere in there. So we're pretty close to it as we're recording this right now. Uh, it might be 25. Can't remember. Um, uh, Ashley continues that both an Unfulfilled Jury and Thorns of Death, the two that we have seen already, um, in the conversation, uh, Shuri alludes to a breakup with Generic Boy. Uh, Ruka and Shiori's tryst in the third arc is clearly not a get back together situation, but a new relationship. Her type is just any guy that's into jury. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, this is kind of news to me because, like, even in my first, like, very first watch when I binged this show 20 years ago, um, like, I still have my pirated copy from back then, which is actually the copy that Chesney is watching. Um, E. <laughs> so yeah, I don't actually remember this. So I'm going to trust you that you're right and we'll definitely watch for it when that episode comes around. Um cuz yeah. like all this time for almost two decades now, I have thought that that was always Ruka. So I am now like kind of excited to be corrected on this and just to see like how differently I view this episode with that in mind. Um, I love getting mail like this. Like I love when folks like write in and point out where we get things wrong because like we're just two idiots talking. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> um, but thanks again for making quality content. You two are a joy to listen to. Oh, thank you, Ashley. Thank you. So if you want to write in, uh, you can reach us at absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. You can also get us on Twitter at Zetai Unmei Pod. Uh, We're also individually on Twitter and Twitch. I am Life in Neon. And I'm at Car Cutie. And I'm still
1: going through making Skyrim in The Sims 4 if you want to come hang out and watch that. It's a fun
0: time. Yeah, she is building Whiterun using existing assets, not like the mod assets that, like, there's a video out there of somebody like modding the entire game um chesney's doing like an awesome job with building white run <laughs> you should check it out thanks Thank okay you. this episode is already like well over two hours um <laughs> we gotta go <laughs> yeah <laughs> Take care. we gotta go see ya. thanks bye <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next time